Well, good morning, Taft Avenue. It is good to be with you this morning. My name is uh, Jordan Weaver, and I come along with my wife and our new son, John, my wife Joyce back there, bringing greetings. Yes, new life. Praise the Lord. Woo! Bringing greetings from uh, Grace Evie Free in La Mirada. That's our home church and has been for over a decade now. Um, But it's a joy to be here with you. As we gather as brothers and sisters in Christ, we get to gather under the name and in the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who brings new mercies every morning, including this morning. Amen? Amen. Last time I was here, um, some of you were gone in Israel, and I was talking to Dave, who has returned safely, and I didn't ask, but did everyone return safely from Israel? Good. Dave was saying it was quite a walkathon, but well worth it, and the food was very rewarding in the midst of it. And just wanted to say, um, Adley, Amy, Eric, Paul, thank you so much for leading us in worship this morning. And can we give a special welcome and thanks to Adley, who has taken on this position. <laughs> Woo! Yeah, it is no small thing to enter into a position to consistently lead God's people, especially in worship, so may God bless you, and may you be welcome here. I know I'm a visitor, so I'm not sure how much weight that welcome bears, but I offer it anyway. Um, As we get to come here today, just a thought before we go to God's word, becoming a dad is a ridiculous thing. This is our first kiddo, and just in those songs we were singing, Run to the Father, I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait for a day that this little guy can run up to me. And I, I can't imagine what it's like. It seems like some of you parents, I know Dave was telling me that he's about to become a, a great grandparent, which is remarkable. And so the years of life and how you as parents would just want your children to run to you in times of need. And our God, as we were singing, is the God whose merciful voice is calling out to us, who welcomes us to come to him, run to him to life and away from death. So I don't know what you've experienced this week, the things, the things that feel or taste like death, your circumstances, your relationships, but we have a God of life who is ready and willing and able to give and dish out life upon life upon life to us. So as we go to God's word, I believe that there is life for us. There's life for you in the midst of whatever it is that you're facing. So let me pray and we'll go to God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Lord, we are just a bunch of needy people. And God, you're the, our Lord and Savior who has the ability and power and resources to meet all our needs. And Lord, the greatest need that we have of being able to have our relationship with you, our God, made right. Lord, you've done through your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, as we listen to him, as we run to you, our Father, our God, would you help us to listen? Would you open our ears? Would you soften our hearts? And would you prepare us, Lord, to be obedient children? And we thank you, God, that we can trust you. And with you, there is life. Lord, pour out that life on us today. Help us to receive it and help us to leave this place with it. We thank you, Lord. Bless this time. Pray and ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. 
Well, we're continuing a series in John, and so if you have your Bibles, please open up to John 5. We're going to begin in verse 19. If you're grabbing a pew Bible, I believe it's page 1058. 1058. But just to catch you up, I know this is my first time jumping in uh, to this series with you all, and it's a joy to do that. Um, And so for myself, as I'm jumping into this passage, I just need to be reminded what's been going on. And what's been going on is we have Jesus Christ, the Son of God, on earth. Fully man, fully God, and he's begun his ministry. He's got his disciples with him. And so far, he's performed uh, three miracles, the multiplication and the creating of wine at wedding of Cana. He also, oh, here we go. Can my mind do it? Yes, he healed um, the official son who was on his deathbed and was healed. And then just before this, there was a paralytic, a crippled man by a pool. And Jesus healed him, told him to rise up and walk. But this stirred up some frustration because this healing took place on the Sabbath. And so the Jews, the religious leaders, they've got their eyes on Jesus. And from their thorough study of the Old Testament scriptures, they believe that work of any kind is just completely forbidden. And they're viewing this miraculous healing and the crippled, now able man to walk, him just standing and picking up his mat as a violation of the Sabbath. And so I'll just read starting in verse 18, and that just kind of gives us the context of what's going on. Um, But people are not happy with Jesus to the point of them wanting to kill him. So that's what we'll start in just a moment. But uh, just our section ahead of us that was read so wonderfully by Rob, a long chunk, we're not gonna be able to dive into everything that's being said, but it's a monologue of Jesus. If you have a red-letter Bible, every single one of our words today would be read. Isn't that amazing? And just thinking about our God is perfect and his word is perfect, all of his word in here, but then also his words to us. So we're getting like doubly perfect words, words from Jesus and words from his word. It's mind-boggling. So we will not be able to delve everything that's in here, but we'll do our best to go through Three sections that we'll just look at, primarily focusing on the authority of the Son, His relationship to the Father, and His ability to judge, and then witnesses to Jesus. I'll summarize each chunk, draw out some themes, and we'll close today with some application. Just a reminder, right before I read, last thing, purpose of this book. We haven't gotten there yet, but in John 20, verse 31, It says, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. So our goal today is to ensure that we have that belief, to reinforce that belief, so that we may yet again experience the life that Jesus is offering us in the belief that he allows us to have. Let's start reading. I'm just gonna read this first chunk, starting John 5, one verse before, and 18. God's word says this. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, 
but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. I'm going to stop right there for now. This first chunk, verses 19 through 24, we are getting this amazing display of the deity of Christ. This is a massive theme and focus for John throughout his entire gospel, that Jesus is the Christ, is the Son of God, is God. Not just a person, but one of the persons in what we know as the triune God, the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So the Jews and the religious leaders are hearing Jesus appropriately, but they're not understanding correctly. Because they're hearing him, and they're knowing that he's equating himself, he's relating himself to God, but it's turning for them into a rage, into a desire to kill Jesus. So in a sense, they're listening, but they're not comprehending appropriately. So Jesus, in this monologue, is responding to their disbelief. And so for us and for those listening, what's our call? First, to listen. So you have your three little bullet points if you want to take notes. Listen is this first chunk. This is from 19 to 24. And it's important to know, who are we listening to? Jesus, fully man, fully God. In all that's written in these first verses, it's showing how remarkably interconnected the Father and Son are. They are two different persons in the Trinity, but they are one God, having different roles and functions at times, but yet one God. How breathtaking this must have been to hear for these original listeners. The Savior that they were anticipating was one who would bring conquest militarily over the Romans. They thought it was just going to be a military leader, but no, instead, God's plan was to send himself, his son. As we've already read John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave them his only son. God himself, the son of God, in front of these people, calling them to listen, and calling them to listen appropriately. Jesus is God. He's the one, it says earlier, no one has ever seen God, the only God, referring to Jesus, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. So here is Jesus making God known and therefore making himself known as God. He is able to say these words truly, truly. We can easily gloss over these words, but remember, this is a time where in all of the oral communication, which was primary, not as much written communication, 
their oral communication would be very much so like an academic paper. They would need to cite their references out loud. And as you know, if you read any textbook or any um, expert worth their weight, half of that page that you're reading is footnotes because they have comprehended all that's been written and studied in that specific body of work. Jesus doesn't need to cite anyone. He's the only one around who's not calling upon higher names and more experienced religious leaders. He's able to say, truly, truly, I say to you. I hope you can just regain, and as we hear that, just regain a little wonder that our God is the true source of wisdom, of truth, and life in his words. That itself, just him saying truly, truly is scandalous, and that's why you hear throughout all the Gospels, everyone's saying he speaks as if he's one with authority. And that's because he is. <laughs> he has all authority and power. He is God. And just to bring it home, we are a part of the stiff-necked people that Jesus needs to speak to, and we always need our attention to be recalibrated and brought back to him. What does it say? He came to this world and his own didn't accept him. He is speaking to these people as their creator, as their God, and they're seeking to kill him. Listen to this, verse 24. This is probably the key verse in our entire passage. Jesus says once again, truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Like we sang, running to life from death, what Jesus offers. Every single one of us, when we booted up in life, when we were born, even our little son right now, John, doomed and destined for judgment, death, and separation from God. Unless intervention. And that's what our God, that's what Jesus Christ is voicing right now. He's voicing words of intervention, pleading, truly, truly, listen to me. Life being offered to these people. What do we need to do to receive this life. First, these words must be listened to, but then must be believed as we believe in the one who is speaking them, believing the truth of the words because all words that come from our God are true, but believing the person and the source of these words, himself, God. So that's our first chunk is just, we need to listen but also we need to believe. John 5, 25 says this, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is here now when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God 
and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So as we read in verse 24, those who believe him will have eternal life. And this belief is important because the belief is what prepares us for judgment. All who believe have life. Without the belief in Jesus, there is nothing that we have to stand on before a holy God in his judgment. Because we know that the manner of life that is to be lived um, put in front of us by the entire New Old Testament law is a life of perfection. Any falling short, any sin, any blemish disqualifies you from relationship with the Holy God. So it's the belief in Jesus and what is to be unfolded in this wonderful good news in his ministry is that his blood that he will shed is the good news that when believed in will wash and purify us and allow us to enter into that life. It says here, those who have done good in verse 29. When we're talking about judgment, sometimes this is where kind of a works-based living can almost seek to sneak in. And so when it says those who have done good, it's like, uh uh-oh, is this a gospel of grace by faith alone? What are these works doing here? Later on in this um, book, in 628, one of the disciples or someone asked Jesus, what must we do to be doing the works of God. And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. So in a sense, the great work, the great good that we are to do is to believe. And like we know later in John, as we abide in our God, naturally, there will be a flowing out of good in our lives as we remain connected to the source of all good. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. It's the belief that God helps us to have as we listen to him, as he instructs, as he has come all this way to communicate about the life that we can receive, believe, and then live out. But depending on what it is that we believe, we can be led astray. What beliefs do we have? And how do those beliefs influence how we live? This brought to mind uh, kind of a horror story from my life. (laughs) Uh, At the end of my time at Biola University, where I was an undergrad, there was just a nice formal for students to go to. And I thought I I had made a plan with the gal I was going to go with 
that we were, for whatever reason, we were both kind of silly people. We agreed that we would go dressed up as nerds, as dweebs, to this formal. Thought it would be kind of fun and a good idea. I show up to meet her with the group of people that we went with. She did not dress up accordingly to what we had talked about, but, but I did. I did. That was one of the most uncomfortable evenings <laughs> of my life as I'm surrounded by my classmates and peers who were all looking very wonderful. And I think I was wearing like short shorts with a dress shirt tucked in, s most slicked back hair you could possibly have. So I did that to myself. That was my own foolishness. But a silly example to think about what are the things that we're believing are, are supposed to happen and how can that lead our lives in a trajectory that can end up empty, alone. These Jews and religious leaders, according to their beliefs right now, would seek to put to death the God of life. We don't have a different makeup than they do. We've got the same flesh. We've got the same broken heart apart from our Lord Jesus Christ. How may it be that our beliefs in this broken world can stray? How may it be that our minds can be skewed in thought and how important it is to have beacons of clarity and truth like the word of God, like the person of Jesus, like the Holy Spirit who's been given to us? But brothers and sisters, how might we need to, from time to time, day to day, reclaim areas of thought, areas of action that may be leading us astray? The Jews are understanding his words, but aren't believing them correctly. This is taking away the worship of God. It's taking away their acknowledgement of who he is. And ultimately, it would lead to and will lead to the taking away of his life. And if they didn't turn, it would take away their own life in the process. And it, this passage also calls him the son of man, which is just a reminder of who this guy is. And behold, from Daniel 7, with clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. It is important for us to know who our God is and to make sure that even as we study his word that we continue to study, continue to come back and continue to have it recalibrated by these wonderful true words so that our belief doesn't lead us astray if it's connected to anything that is not true. So we're to listen, we're to believe and in this last long chunk, just this idea of we are to witness, in the sense of we are to bear witness. This is an active witnessing, a proclaiming, a declaring, a testifying to Jesus. In this section, Jesus is getting witnessed 
two by four different witnesses. John the Baptist, as we've already heard of, he's also being witness to the works of himself, his works. Verse 36 says that. So we've seen these miracles and we're seeing his life and his words. These things are witnessing to who he is. He's also being witnessed to by the Father in verses 37 and 38. And also being witnessed to by Scripture in 39 through 40. All of these things proclaim who our God is. I would encourage you in conversations afterwards, look at these things, see how each one is witnessing who Jesus is. But at the beginning of this passage is just an interesting word that Jesus says that I just want to make sure that we have clear. In verse 30, he says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Verse 31. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. <gasps> is Jesus saying that there's some source of lack of truth in his life? No. It seems as though Jesus is just communicating in line with the Old Testament law of witnesses in a courtroom setting where there need to be two or three witnesses for something to be considered true and taken seriously. Lucky for our Godhead, there are two to three witnesses in the triune God. So God for a moment is just talking about himself as a person. I by myself am not able to do this, but the reality of who he is with his relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit, he then is able to witness to himself. Just to make sure that we're not seeing I can do nothing on my own as a stumbling block because again, he's just talking about he can't do anything on his own in relation just to him himself. He has to be doing everything with the Father. Three in one, perfectly together. He can't witness to himself, but he can in a triune sense. So, all of these things, John the Baptist, the works of Jesus, the Father and Scripture are witnessing, making known Jesus, his, his life and his words of life. But there's a problem because he's acknowledging mankind's issue, and it's our love for self, not God. And because of that, like I said, bound for death, and judgment. And just take a step back for this. It's just amazing. In this loving rebuke of Jesus, remember, he's the God who's exited out of heaven to come to earth, to take on flesh, to come through a virgin girl, Mary, to be a baby to grow up and then now to be man, fully man, fully God, and to interact with his creation, the people that he's created. He knows them perfectly. He himself is infinite, and he's speaking to them words, life-saving words of life from the death that they are bound to enter into. 
And yet, not all are hearing, believing, and receiving him. But yet, he continues. What love is that? Such love, patient, long-suffering, willing to receive rebuke when he is the only one who has no wrong in him. Just a reminder, this is the God who has come to seek and save the lost. So he acknowledges that there's dysfunction in mankind. He says, specifically when it comes to honoring and glorifying God. The goal is that all may honor the Son in verse 23, just as they honor the Father. But whoever does not honor the Son, which in that moment is a lot of people who are trying to kill him, they're not honoring the Father who sent him. So he's acknowledging these disconnects. There's a God confusion going on, as one commentator says. He even says, just in one small verse, I do not receive glory from people. Again, he's being sought to be put to death. That is like the opposite of being lifted up and praised and worshipped. So he's acknowledging this gap, the dysfunction. Verse 44, he says, How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? This is where I just want us to think for a moment because in our lives, we are always witnessing to something, testifying, bearing witness to. It's very easy for me to do concerning a TV show or a meal that I ate. I'll witness about those things all day long. But with our life, what we believe or what is being valued as most important to us will spill over in our witness. And that thing, that person, that adventure, that vacation, that retirement, whatever it is, that will be the thing that we are actively giving most honor and glory. So how might we be able to, in a sense, reclaim the honor and glory that we extend with our lives and orient it to the person who is only, him alone, worthy of all honor, glory, and praise. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. As we bear witness to Jesus, testifying about him is the fruit, in a sense, of our belief. So that's just our progression on the day, listening, believing, and then witnessing. When we witness to Jesus, belief from his words end up also not needing a witness from us any longer, which is so cool. Think back to the Samaritan woman, this conversation that you probably just read through a couple weeks ago. He interacts with her, reveals himself as her God, and she runs to the town. I met a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Christ? She brings all these people and they hear and they end up saying to her, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. 
So a cool thing is that in the midst of our witness with our life, as we get to proclaim Jesus Christ in all that we do, as we continue to treasure and revere him and his life-saving work in us all the more, and it spills out on the people around us, their listening, their belief that might come from our witness turns into for themselves their own belief and listening in our God, not just from us. We might be a mouthpiece for a moment, but then that can then lead to others finding their Lord and Savior of the world, like these people said, and they themselves then experience this multiplication of witnessing. So a few thoughts in closing. As you continue in John, just wanna, we want to always seek to have our eyes open to Jesus as God and as man in the midst of his ministry. It's just mind-boggling. It's worth contemplating. It's worth praying, God, would you open my eyes afresh and anew to see the wonder of your salvific plan, this good news that you would come to this dying world and communicate truth and life to a stubborn people. Lord, help me to not be stubborn. Help me to listen. Help me to not disbelieve. Three specific just applications came to mind in thinking about these different chunks. In regards to listening, Jesus says at the end of this passage, for if you believed Moses, you would believe me for he wrote of me. That's in verse 46. Now, the name Jesus doesn't appear in the Old Testament, but Jesus is telling these scholars of the word of God that he's there. He's in those pages. So one encouragement for us is to view the entire Bible, Old and New Testament, as the words of God where we can experience the revelation of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've started a reading plan or what you're planning on doing for your daily devotions this year, but I would just encourage you that the Old Testament is just as much the word of God to be treasured and poured over in your life like the New Testament is. If you don't believe me, give Isaiah 53 a read. You won't see the name of Jesus, but you will hear the gospel story unfold in front of you. Now let's listen. In the sense of believe, we always just want to be checking ourselves in a sense. And it's really good to think about belief in this kind of root to fruit image. What's the fruit in your life? Some easy categories to think about are how am I spending my time? How am I spending my money? Where, where are my thoughts? What do those different categories share or reveal about yourself and where belief or priority or value might be being placed? This isn't to say that we don't spend money. This isn't to say we can't have entertainment. But what would it be like if, even in the midst of the fun that we have, even in the midst of the money that we spend, that there is a sense of seeking to bring God the glory in the midst of it? 
It can check our beliefs. And even when we sin, this phrase came to mind, what would it be like to perform an autopsy of the sin in our life? What's the belief? What's the cause of death there? What tempting thought was it that was in my mind that was given into? And how might that reveal areas in our lives, areas in our hearts where there's not full, complete submission and belief placed in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Listen, believe, and the last thought, just being a witness to testify to, to bear witness to, if you haven't interacted with a new believer in quite some time, I would encourage you, find a new believer. Because I believe more often than not, what you will find is someone rejoicing, zealous, embracing for the first time that I was dead and now I'm alive. And for those of us who have been in the faith for years, decades, our entire lives, it's remarkable how a staleness can set in. What would it be like to be roused by new faith and in a sense be roused by the miraculous death from life transformation of another person? So you don't have any new recent believers around you? Oh, that might be an opportunity for us to just proclaim this gospel and help make a couple with God's help. The, the, the times that that has happened in my life, I can't share or emphasize this enough, how nourishing that was from my own faith to see and talk with someone and pray with someone to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior to embrace that apart from themselves, uh, according to themselves, they have nowhere else to go. There's no life for them, but only in Christ. So what would it be like to witness the miracle of fresh faith and how that might that then fuel your witness? So as we close, just to think about the miracle that took place that's getting Jesus in all this hot water right before this is just a lame man, not able to walk, but Jesus says, you're healed, rise, take up your mat and walk. How might it be for us that we in our new life walking might be able to, as miraculously as that paralyzed man is walking, us in our life just living. How might we be a people who walk by faith into a daily step-by-step witness of our God and the transformation that he's done in our life? May we revere what God has done in us just like what that crippled man experienced in being able to walk anew. May we walk anew by faith in the miraculous work that our God has done in us. Let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, we praise you. You are God. And you are the God who wasn't content, though you could have been, to just remain in heaven. But God, because of your great love, you initiated a rescue mission, came to earth, lived, and faced a stiff-necked, stubborn, rebellious, rejecting people. But God, I thank you for your patience and your willingness to long suffer so that this message of life and truth could be communicated. And Lord, thank you for your faithfulness in recording this and allowing us to be here today. Lord, your faithfulness is on display in every single one of our lives, just in every single breath that we have. And Lord, I thank you for the faith that's even represented here, the life that you've brought from death. Lord, for any here who is unfamiliar with you or even would say, I don't know if I have that life that's being talked about. I pray, God, that you would stir up in that person right now a willingness and a boldness to even just come up and talk to someone here today. And Lord, would there even be new life in this place today because of your life-saving and transforming words? But Lord, would that spill out and multiply in our lives? And I just pray and ask that you would help each one of us to think about how we are to be witnesses for you in our workplaces, in our families, with our time, with our money. Lord, would you help us to believe, savor, exalt, honor, and glorify you in our lives so that naturally people would see that we live differently, that we have life differently, all because of you. And would you just continue to work and repeat that miraculous life from death transformation in more and more, even through us. We thank you, God. Would you bless this time of fellowship that we have? Would you continue to bless this time of worship? And would you guide us into the week that we have ahead of us in the midst of our circumstances, in the midst of our relationship? And would you help us to listen, believe, and witness you, God, life, and truth? We thank you, Lord, and we pray and ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jordan. Let's all stand, and we're going to